0: convenience stores from October 1st to November 29th. It's all part of our 60 year celebration and it's only at Terribles. Download the Terribles app for more information. The TC Martin Show is here. Yeah boy if you
1: can't listen live go to tcmartinshow.com anytime. Listen to the podcast, check out the blog, and see the star-studded photo gallery. Get your daily dose of The Doctor. T.C. Martin online at tcmartinshow.com. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook, and be an active part of the show anytime, anywhere.
2: It's the most entertaining and informative sports talk show on the planet, The T.C. Martin Show.
1: The sun is shining in Las Vegas, Nevada. Again, everybody, this is Harry Carey. That's the
2: most asinine marketing I've ever heard of. Live from the CG Technology Studio. Brian
1: Santana, a deep left way back, it is gone—a three-run homer in the entertainment capital of the world. Didn't matter what the count was.
0: It's the TC Martin Show. Harper, deep side field.
1: To get your daily prescription from the doctor. Oh my
2: goodness.
1: That's the longest home run to center field we have seen in this ballpark. TC Martin.
2: tc martin show hope you had a wonderful weekend and if it was a wagering weekend for you i hope it went well and you followed some of our best bets that worked out pretty well ballpark frank in the house Numpchuck on the other side of the proverbial glass we have a action-packed jam-packed show here once again today steve sacks will join us the former second baseman the two-time world series champion The five-time All-Star. We will talk to him as we break down the ALCS game number two in progress right now. Astros and the Rays. And game number one tonight on the National League side with fans. 11,500 fans will be allowed in Texas, in Arlington tonight for the Dodgers and the Braves. So we'll uh, look forward to that. Plus, we'll revisit and recap what we saw in the NFL yesterday as well with the Raiders. Getting
0: a victory. So glad to have you with us here on a Monday. Ballpark Frank, what's going on, my man? Well, you know, just another weekend, a typical Monday with an NFL doubleheader action, getting ready to wrap it up on a Tuesday because it's 2020, so you don't know exactly what the hell's going on. And I got to give a little love, too, because I know you're not going to mention it. Congratulations to both French Open champions, Iga Swiatek, who beat my girl Sophia Kennan in the finals. And Rafa Nadal wins his 20th major Mm -hmm. Grand Slam, tying Roger Federer, his 13th French Open. He destroyed Novak Djokovic. He did. Actually, I was going to give that uh, a mention. But
2: I thought you were going with, I know you're not going to mention it, is that you were going to say and congratulate me on being 5-1 in our best bets. That's where I thought you were going to go, because I wasn't going to bring that up. But
0: now you made me be like the, you know, the Pat... On the back, myself guy now. I didn't want to do that. Well, I I sent you a text congratulating you on that. So I I thought I'd already congratulated you on that. You did. I didn't know that your ego was almost up there with LeBron James. It's that, not that you needed the extra on air. I thought applause that's where you're going too. Again, unabated to the quarterback.
2: You know, that's it. I don't even know what you're talking about. So, so since forget.
0: I didn't go there, you decided to go there yourself anyhow. Exactly. So you definitely wanted. So I de- you wanted the applause. I, you wanted. I got the applause. <laughs> unabated, right there. There it is. It wasn't unabated. <laughs> I mean, you
2: you 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 basically brought. It on. I did because I th- I thought you were going there. So then I, I
0: should have just kept it to myself. That's okay. I was five and one. How about you? Um, in, in the best bets, I was three and three undefeated <laughs> in the pros. So That's shows you what my college picks did once again. <laughs> <laughs> Overthink those things. But in the O B contest, I was four and one. Yeah. I don't have any of the teams nice remaining. So there you so go. Yeah. Overthought it a little bit. I thought you know what I, I got almost all favorites here. I need to take one dog. So yeah. instead of taking Pittsburgh like I was going to as my fifth pick. I took Jacksonville, and of course they, oh, well, I know Houston's terrible. Oh, wait, they got a new coach. They might play for a new coach. Right. Yep, you overthink it sometimes.
2: So we thought actually we may have a triple header here between tonight and tomorrow with the Patriots and the Broncos. Remember we had the 2 o'clock weird schedule, and they finally said, you know what, we're going to move this game to next Sunday. So New England-Denver will play next Sunday. And uh, today we've uh, got our our regular Monday night uh, scheduled game between the Saints And uh, the Chargers, so we will preview that a little bit later on as well. And like you said, tomorrow we've got Buffalo and Tennessee at 4 p.m. Go figure on a Tuesday.
0: Well, I I mean, maybe it won't be a terrible Tuesday tomorrow because Mm -hmm. uh, we actually have some NFL football unless (laughs) Tennessee finds a way to screw it up even more and have this one canceled as well because apparently they've just been breaking protocol Mm -hmm. all over the place. Right. And you know, there are... Uh, some contests
2: in town that you know have the week long contest, and if a game is not complete by midnight Monday night, that game doesn't count for some of these contests, which is pretty interesting. Now there are some properties that will uh, say Tuesday midnight, but there are several. Monday midnight, so if you pick that game and say, you know, one of these big contests, these these high state contests, you know, the super contest or, you know, the circuit contest or some of these others, or I know, you know, Palace Station, they have the last man standing, some of that game may not count, which could be a shame.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, that could be a shame. And that's one of the reasons, too, why wherever you make your wagers at or whatever, you really want to know the house rules. Because there's different house rules sometimes. You know that in baseball games, there's rules for how many innings a game goes, who's the starting pitchers are, whether you have action, if, if it's you know, contingent on who actually gets that start. The horse racing book part has different things. You know, some play parimutual, Some only pay up to so much. You know, some, oh, you play a five-team and you get this. You play a six-team and you still get what you get. I mean, there's a lot of different house rules. So you really want to, if you have a consistent place, know what they are when you're making your wagers. You got it. All right. And happy Columbus Day. Oh, what, yeah. what, are the, what are the most overlooked,
2: probably, holidays? And I know a lot of people uh, think that uh, – you know, the, uh, there's a lot of businesses that are off. There are a lot of businesses that are open today as well, too. And I know, like, in our business, this really isn't a holiday. You know, coming on a Monday in October because we have so much sports to talk about. But, uh, yeah, w- we don't get the day off.
0: No, a lot of government agencies do. I know the post office is closed. But uh, it is kind of weird, you know, when you're celebrating the third person to uh, come over to the Americas to uh, you give them a holiday out there. But uh, I realize that, you know, that's what uh, that's what people do. It's Columbus mm-hmm. Day. so Right. There it is. All right. Columbus Day.
2: What are you looking me for? Oh, we have breaking news? I hope it's not breaking news of what, what Jose Altuve did again. Now, the Astros and the uh, uh, Rays are playing right now. And if you didn't see what happened or heard what happened, in the bottom of the first inning, a ground ball to Jose Altuve on, during the— well, he was playing in the shift, so he's about 10 feet on the grass um, by uh, G-Man Choi— And Choi was basically conceding the out. And Altuve just either got a little bit lazy, short-armed it, and it short-hopped Yuli Gurriel. And Choi was safe, putting runners on first and second with two outs. Next hitter, Manuel Margot, hits a three-run shot. And there's the score right now, Tampa Bay 3-0. So what just happens now, leading off the bottom of the third, the exact same thing routine grounder to Altuve throws it in the dirt to Guriel again and the leadoff man is on for Tampa so two balls in a row to Altuve and he does the same thing I thought I was looking at a replay here but it was live I had to do a double take so anyway I'm sure that was not the breaking news you were referring to but that happened as that happened so now back to whatever your breaking news is, Ballpark Frank.
0: Well, his breaking news was when I mentioned, I believe. I think he caught it when I said uh, that Christopher Columbus was the third person here to uh, visit the Americas. Uh, Leif Erikson, of course, was the first person. <laughs> Most people do believe. Uh, there's some dispute whether or not, if Americo Vespucci was here before or after Columbus, but it's around that same time frame. Vespucci, of course, born in 1454. We know that Columbus came here in 1492. So, you know, Christopher Columbus, not the first person actually to be here, but still we celebrate Columbus Day like he was. What? Why do we celebrate... Why are we not celebrating Leif Erickson? Isn't Leif Erickson an actor or a singer? Uh, Leif Erickson... You might be thinking of Leif Garrett, the old <laughs> 70s actor and singer. Right. Uh, but, uh, no... Uh, the great flaming uh, blonde hair, too. You yeah, he had the she? flaming blonde hair. Yeah. Uh, used to date Christy... Uh, McNichol? Mc, Mc, Nick, McNichol. Yeah, yeah. Way back in the day as I well. They, they yeah. were kind of the hot item in yeah. those teen magazines and that back when... Back when I was before a teenager even. But, um, but no, he's... Uh, he, he, he is not the one He gets no credit Le, Leif Erikson is the, the Norwegian or Viking Who was in Greenland And all reports say that he was actually over here In North America long before Long before you sure he wasn't First a downhill Columbus. skier? Uh, there might be a Leif Erikson <laughs> that was a downhill skier But not to my knowledge uh, if, How about Leif Garrett? And if he was, was there a he Leif was... Garrett? Leif Garrett is the one we were just talking about The one with the long hair That's what I'm saying oh, Okay, The one that dated Christy McNichol right. You want to join the conversation now? You brought him up, and then you brought him up a second time. I mean, I was, I'm trying to keep my
2: eye on this baseball game here. I'm mesmerized by what's going on here. You did a lot better
0: in your best Come bets on, than you did in keeping up with the conversation. Hey, thank we you for the compliments. There you go. There you go. The third person.
2: The third person <laughs> over here is Christopher Columbus, and he gets the holiday after him. F-
0: five and one in the best bets and one and one in the conversation <laughs> we literally just had. You know what? I can actually say I'm 0 <laughs> for 2 on that, too. Jeez. <laughs> All right. But happy Columbus Day to all of you that are fortunate enough to uh, have a day off and that that you have a job to have a day off from because we know that times are struggling right now. There you go. Exactly. Okay.
2: On a very somber note, uh, we got up this morning or we heard late last night that uh, Joe Morgan passed away at the age of 77. Uh, Joe Morgan, arguably one of the greatest second basemen of all time, maybe the greatest second baseman of all time in baseball history, died, like we said, at the age of 77, had various health problems over the past few years, including a nerve condition. Joe Morgan, and I know for you and I, growing up watching this guy, he was just phenomenal. He was only 5'7", 160 pounds, but, man, did this guy pack some dynamite in his swing, the way he played, and that big red machine. Whether you liked him or didn't, you know, you and I know we're growing up, we're Cubs fans, and but man, that that big red machine, that seventy five World Series, just just something special with Tony Perez and Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and you know uh, Dave Concepcion, so, yeah, uh, Geronimo. I mean, all of those guys. I mean, just yeah, Concepcion was another. Oh, what a great shortstop. But yeah, you just you know you go. You go back and you look at uh, Joe Morgan's career, played 22 years. And a lot of people don't realize he played until the age of 41. Uh, Reds and Astros, you know, came up in the Astros organization. Those were his two main teams. Uh, two-time nationally most valuable player, 10-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glove Award winner, two-time World Series champion with the big red machine, like we mentioned, Uh, regarded as the best second baseman in baseball history, 25 years also as a broadcaster after his playing career, and a lot of people remember him from 1990 to 2010, being part of the ESPN lead broadcast crew with John Miller, Uh, Morgan, and we've talked a lot about this, and it just seems like every week we're hitting this, the sixth. Think about this: the sixth Hall of Famer that has passed away in 2020, and the others: Whitey Ford just last week, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, Tom Seaver, Al Kaline. Uh, it just, I, I don't know if we're just become you know used to this now, and uh, it just it's sad. Another sad day, but but a guy. Like, you know, we talked about last week Whitey Ford, guy that, you know, was older. He was 91 91 years old. But Joe Morgan, I mean, you know, again, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, Tom Seaver, Al Kalen, all guys that we saw play when we were younger. But Morgan just really spanned uh, generations because he was so relevant as a broadcaster, too.
0: Yeah, and of course, and for maybe some of the younger people out there that haven't seen him, Google him, and iconic batting style with the way that he would flap his left yeah. arm when he was up there. He could hit for power, like you mentioned, even though he was a little guy, but more a singles and certainly a gap hitter. And you mentioned what a great defensive player he was. Not only was he only five foot seven, but he used one of the smallest gloves in baseball. It looked like one of those things back when Babe Ruth in that era played or something. It almost literally looked just like a glove on his hand. But boy, if he got close to the ball, he was going to swallow it up and make make the play, just a dynamic, dynamic uh, second baseman in the game. You mentioned him, Concepcion, and Perez. What a dynamic double play combination. Of course, Pete Rose, who I believe played in the All-Star game in every position except for as a catcher mm-hmm. and a pitcher, so he was one of the most versatile guys. Just also happened to uh, be the the hit king of all time in baseball. That big red machine, I was not a giant fan of theirs, but I certainly did right. respect them. And that and the reason I wasn't a big fan of theirs was because they were so damn good. Mm-hmm. And then you have guys like I didn't uh, – Receiver pitch for them for a while, or I some. I know they had right. some great right. pitchers yes, on that. Did. So Later on, yeah. I mean, they had. A, they were just absolutely lights yeah. out, incredible. Oh. Uh, that that team was that team was so so good. And, again, if you weren't a fan of theirs, you probably hated them, but you had to respect them.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, they had some great pitchers, Don Gullett, Billingham. I mean, the list goes on and on. Again, when they had four or five starters, they could uh, trot out there. And and Johnny Bench, amazing.
0: who who literally revolutionized the way catching Mm -hmm. was, catching was just, uh, okay, doesn't matter if you hit uh, 200 like Bob Eucher or something (laughs) if if you manage the pitching staff. Well, Johnny Bench went, no, you can get some offense out of that position as well. So they really did change the game in a lot of different ways.
2: They did, yeah, classic uh, big red machine back in the day. So very sad. Joe Morgan dies at the age of 77, uh, died yesterday. Steve Sachs obviously uh, looked up to Joe Morgan. Sachs, just a great second base himself. He will join us a little bit later on in the program, so uh, we'll get to Steve Sachs' thoughts on the passing of Joe Morgan as well. All right, so we transitioned to yesterday, probably the biggest game, uh, throughout the NFL, obviously here locally, the, the Raiders, what they did yesterday, defeating the Kansas City Chiefs, 40-32, to the final score. But when you really look at this game, Frank, Derek Carr outplayed Patrick Mahomes. And that is shocking to say, but literally that is exactly what happened yesterday. Carr, 347 yards, three touchdowns. Carr had lost his last six trips to Arrowhead Stadium, losing by an average of 17 points. But it was more than than just
0: that. They just outplayed him on both sides of the ball, especially on defense, too. Well, yeah, and, and what a difference it makes when you can not only stretch the field with speed, but you have a speed so that can catch the ball and then do something with it. Ruggs, I believe, only had two catches. <laughs> but but hey, he has the long touchdown. I mean, just absolutely sensational catches by him. And just having that threat out there opens everything else up as well. Yeah, Carr played a, a magnificent game. Uh, he had a lot of different options. He used them. Uh, he went deep a couple times to make it successful. And that defense of the Raiders, they they kind of bent a little bit. They gave up some points, but they got the big interception, Mahomes' uh, first interception of the season. Carr also threw an interception earlier in the game, but he bounced back from that and didn't let it bother him. J- just an excellent performance in this Raider team that uh, – I believe, like myself, probably most people are still kind of scratching their head trying to figure out what exactly is this team. But it certainly makes a big difference when you have the guy out there with the speed that can catch the ball back in the lineup. That's a huge difference thing. It it, it changes the, the way that the other team has to defend against you.
2: Speed at the wide receiver position, and uh, getting Aguilar as well too, and he had to be what a 57 yard touchdown as well, and just having Josh Jacobs, even though Jacobs didn't have a fantastic day, but just that threat of that running game that they have as well too, and then you have Rashard to come in, so the Raiders have some great offensive weapons, and in that game last week against the Bills, we thought it, okay, it was going, they were going to be able to match Buffalo. Uh, And the difference was that Buffalo had the staunch defense where the Raiders didn't. And in this game with Kansas city, you can clearly see that Kansas city was overlooking the Raiders. And I don't want to take anything away from the Raiders. There's no doubt about it, but, If you're watching that game, it looked like Kansas City was going through the motions, especially in the first half when the pinball machine went off and both offenses were going up and down the field. It wasn't until the second half where, after halftime, the Kansas City defense actually showed up. They started playing with some passion. It looked like, okay, here come the Chiefs. But then the fourth quarter came around because in the third quarter, nobody scored. And in the fourth quarter, the Raiders scored 16 unanswered points. And looking at Mahomes, and you mentioned the interception – he just you know, w- was kind of down. There wasn't a lot of passion and emotion from the offensive players on the Chiefs yesterday, and the Raiders, they literally took it to him. And the defensive line, I can't believe that I'm saying this, but the defensive line just manhandled the Chiefs' offensive line in this game, and that was the difference uh, the, the way I looked at it. And they snapped a 13-game Kansas City Chiefs winning streak, and that's regular season in the playoffs. So kudos to the Raiders, hats off to the Raiders, if they meet again, I'm sure Kansas City is not going to look past them, but this victory for the Raiders, it just kind of flips everything uh, around. They win the first two games, then they're 2-2, two and two, and people are saying, okay, these are the same Raiders, but it, you get that one victory against the defending champions it can flip the script, and who knows what, what, what happens from here, because now the Raiders go into the bye week feeling pretty good about themselves.
0: Yeah, and I believe they will meet again in, in Vegas here, of course, where there won't be fans, and that's another thing that I thought was important, because we heard Derek Carr talking about it after the game. We know that Arrowhead is one of the toughest places to go in the NFL to win a football game, but Carr said he actually heard Raider chants, because there are limited fans there, so the fans that were there, some Raider fans got in, and because you're not going against 60,000 of the other team's Rabbit fan base out there. When you make a noise in a stadium that's almost an empty stadium, it kind of echoes a little bit more. And Carr said that he'd never heard Raider Chance in Kansas City before and it kind of picked him up and it picked up the defense as well. So, again, it's crazy times we're going through but you have to take advantage of anything you can. The Raiders don't have any fans at their home games, but they actually had some yeah. in Kansas City. Yeah. That shows the topsy-turvy, upside-down world we live in.
2: That's yeah, it. 17,000 fans were at Arrowhead yesterday and I know they. I saw plenty of uh, of clips, you know, of shots of the Raider fans. I'd probably say maybe what, maybe a thousand Raider fans there, and a thousand fans in a place that holds over eighty, and you have seventeen thousand spread out. Yeah. Yeah, not so much a home, uh, home game for the Chiefs yesterday. Well, and ex- Especially
0: when the Chiefs fans are kind of sitting on their hands because they're a little bit numb and they don't know exactly, what's going on.
2: Exactly. All right, so kudos to the Raiders for that victory, and let's let us see where they go from here. All right, uh, another sad part uh, of yesterday, uh, looking at what happened in the Giants-Cowboys game, and it was a great game. The Cowboys came back to win the game 37-34, but a gruesome injury uh with Dak Prescott as he was rolling out to, to his left. And I don't know about you, but when, you, when I saw this happen, really didn't think much of it. It looked like, okay, here here's a tackle. It was almost kind of like the Tua situation last year with Alabama. And then you don't realize until maybe 20, 30 seconds later, wait a minute, this is, this is bad. And then when you see the close-up of his ankle, and it was pretty gruesome. And this is the way that it sounded yesterday with the broadcast.
0: Here's a quarterback
1: draw up the middle. Prescott bouncing out to the left across the twenty. He's inside the Sherwin Williams red zone. Nineteen. Boy, and he's yard hurt. Yard that lock.
2: Prescott's hurt. I, I didn't like the way he fell. He he couldn't brace himself. He had the ball, and the right shoulder came down. But it's the right knee, or right leg, I should say, that he's
0: that's going to get holding. Yeah, and yeah that's going to get McCarthy off the sideline. Well. You can hear the crowd, Prescott, extending a fist up in the air, and
2: Prescott is in tears. So there's the Dallas Cowboys Radio Network, Brad Champ, Abe Loffinger on the, on the call there. Uh, gruesome injury, and uh, Prescott in tears, teammates in tears. Uh, just, just sad for Dak Prescott, and I know a lot of people will say, hey, this is is going to hurt the Cowboys and there are people are going to talk about his contract situation as well too remember he signed the the one-year tender and uh what does this mean for Dak Prescott going forward but you know as of right now uh Dak Prescott was was smiling believe it or not had the surgery last night uh I imagine he will recover but anytime you go through an injury like this you just don't know and to transition over to Alex Smith remember how gruesome that thing was. I mean, that was really bad. Alex Smith got in the game yesterday. He was activated to the Redskins and actually, uh, you know, re- relieved the Kyle Allen and came in and played quarterback yesterday, which, which is great. But anyway, uh, Dak Prescott, very, very... Ugly, gruesome injury, and you got to feel for him and Cowboy fans.
0: And now it's time to see what Andy Dalton has to yes. offer. I mean, Andy Dalton, great backup. Has, by the he way. certainly has experience. He yeah. has he, he 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 on paper is a good backup, but he hasn't played well of late. That's one of the reasons he's available to be a backup for somebody out there right now. Uh, the Cowboys have to pick up their game on all fronts because they can't expect Andy Dalton to do what Dak Prescott does because there are different types of quarterbacks out there. But, uh, you know, you, you wish them all the best, and, and you wish uh, Prescott the best as well. But, unfortunately, it's crazy. You mentioned, like, sometimes you see an injury and you don't know how bad it is. It also kind of reminded me a little bit of many years ago of Bo Jackson. When he got that, that injury and you say, okay, it's a that horse collar before they, the right. term was even really out there. And that you didn't realize how severe it was. With today's Madison and everything else, you certainly hope that Prescott can bounce back from this. But I was reading up today this morning that they said he, they expect him out for four to six months, so essentially he's done for the season.
2: Yeah, done for the season. And
0: like you said, you know, having Andy Dalton as a backup, a guy,
2: who, you know, this is why you get a guy like Andy Dalton. And believe it or not, I'll, I'll say this: I think the Cowboys are probably going to be better off with Andy Dalton because he's got great experience. Uh, this guy is is one of those underrated guys. He was just on some bad luck Seattle Bengal teams. You know, the coaching, the offensive coordinators, it was kind of a, a, a whirlwind situation there. But, uh, again, they, he had some luck, just couldn't win in the playoffs. But if the Cowboys can get healthy and they can now maybe get back to the running game and say, okay, we're going to be a run team first, like we saw yesterday in the second half, and feed the ball to Ezekiel Elliott, you know, with the tattoo on his stomach saying, feed me. Uh, and and Dalton usually doesn't make a whole bunch of mistakes. You know, Prescott, you know, he could be a little careless with the football. I actually think this is going to turn it up a little bit for, for Dallas. And then if you get those guys who say, hey, we're going to play for Dak now, all of a sudden
0: I'm thinking watch out for the Cowboys. I agree with you to some extent there. Like I say, he's a different type of quarterback, but he does protect the ball pretty well. But, of course, now the thing you have to worry about is because we are only through four or five weeks in the season now, Now you have to find a way to keep Andy Dalton healthy the rest of the season as well because what's their backup plan? Because now their backup is their starter. Right, that's true. All right, we'll hit some more NFL stuff
2: a little bit later on. But uh, when we come back, we'll talk a little Major League Baseball. We'll get you updated on the American League Championship Series happening as we speak with the Astros in Tampa Bay. And also tonight, game number one between the Dodgers and the Braves. And we will preview that with Major League Baseball Network radios and the former All-Star World Series champ himself, second baseman Steve Sachs. What a nice little town. Maybe I'll buy a home here when I retire.
1: What seems to be the problem, officers?
2: It's enough out of you, smart guy. Reach for your license.
1: Slowly. Well, well, Steve Sachs from New York City. I heard some guy got killed in New York City, and they never solved the case. But
2: you wouldn't know anything about that, now would you, Steve? (laughs) (laughs) But there's hundreds of unsolved murders in New York City. You don't know when to keep your mouth shut, do you, sexy boy?
0: Nice work, boys. I think we can close the book on just about every unsolved
2: crime in our fair city. Don't I at least get to call my lawyer? You watch too many movies, (laughs) sex. Know what it is but every producer that i have they're just fans not only of steve Sachs but they're 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 fans of the simpsons and so i guess we're gonna get simpson clips every time we have the former second baseman on what's going on saxy i gotta apologize well you're a hero over here i guess hey. they love you man
1: well, well, thank you very much, but I'm a fan of the Quake. I <laughs> know. The Quake loves you, man. The Quake. The Quake. <laughs>
2: the Quake loves you with what his. What a great name for <laughs> the Quake. The undersized Steve Sachs number three jersey that only the Quake can possibly get his
0: armpits in. numchup, not happy with that uh, Quake reference there.
1: Well, all right. that's all right, Q. We'll just call you Q. We don't know when to keep your mouth shut.
2: You oh man! All right, Saxy. we are Great. we we are talking. We are talking about the. Major League Baseball playoffs here, and uh, as we speak, we've got the Rays and the Astros going. The Rays lead 3 nothing. The Astros have had runners on Sachse every inning. They've left at least two guys mm-hmm. on in, in scoring position, but uh, the Rays mm-hmm. are benefiting with a little bit of luck, and they're also benefiting with some fantastic play. Uh, what, what's your thoughts as we look at uh, game number two here early on?
1: Yeah, there's, there's something about getting the big hit, but I'll tell you what. There's a few times that the Astros have really stung the baseball and they've come up with nothing, and that happens sometimes. I mean, I've had uh, times where you go through stretches where you can't buy a hit. I've had years where, like if, for instance, in 1990, I hit 260 that year, uh, the year before that I hit over 300. The year after it, I hit well over 300, and I didn't hit the ball any different than the year in the middle, except I hit 260. Well, why was that? Because I had no luck. Every, everything I hit was caught. And sometimes that's what happens.
2: Yeah, you're right. People don't realize that. I mean, you can hit rockets, you can hit bullets, you get it right. You know, yeah. again, it's a, it's not only it's a streaky game, but it's you know we always talk about it's a game of failures, but it is also you know again you know right place, right time, and you know you can you can hit one hundred twenty yeah. feet, and it could turn into a double and be a game winner.
1: Right, and you can see right now where Charlie Morton is making some mistakes. He's hanging a lot of curveballs, and he's getting away with it. He's hung two curveballs to Springer in this particular bat, and, and both time he's missed it. Here's a replay of one I'm still looking at right now. This is a cement mixer right in the middle of the plate. He should have hit that to Poway, and, uh, and he missed it. So, you know, you got to capitalize on the mistakes that the pitcher makes.
2: All right, so ACL, ALCS update. Game one was last night. Uh, Houston had plenty of chances in that game as well, too. Uh, what do you think is the key for the Astros to either get back in this series and potentially win the series? <laughs>
1: Well, they have they have to do it in big fashion. See, it's it's like the clash of the titans in this series. Houston has a great hitting team. They got guys that can hit the ball out of the park. They can they can they can uh, put guys in motion and manufacture runs. They can do it all different kinds of ways. They got to break out. They need a couple of guys to go deep. They need somebody to steal a you know steal a base and then get a big hit. They need they need something profound to happen instead of just kind of muddling along. You know you know lining out and grounding out and popping up. They need something profound to happen. They need a big hit when it when it counts, and that to break the team out. But uh, so far, that hasn't happened.
0: Hey, Steve, um, you mentioned before about uh, teams getting a lot of hard-hit balls. We know that in baseball that doesn't necessarily equate to getting hits. Do you like that stat that mm-hmm. they show now? Because I find it really interesting that they're showing the guys that and, – and usually it does equate to a better batting average than everything else, but I like that they're showing the guys that are really hitting the ball right, right on the screws, and you know, if it goes out, I believe it's 95 miles an hour or more that they use that as a, as yeah. a stat. But do, do you like that stat that they're showing now to, to get an idea who's really kind of zoned in in the batter's box?
1: Well, it gives it gives you an idea of who's making hard contact, and of course, you know, chances are if you make hard contact, uh, you're going to get a lot more hits. There's some games where I've gotten two or three hits in a game, and I didn't hit it out of the infield, um, but that's few and far between. Usually, if you hit the ball hard, uh, Pete Rose told me one time when I was on first base, uh, I lined out two times in the game, and I finally got a hit, and I was on I was on first base, and he says, "Hey, just remember one thing," he said, um, "that old adage, uh, they all even out." He said, bull crap, they don't all even out. Don't ever think they do. And so, you know, that's one thing I always remembered is, you know, they know an idea where you're going to hit the ball. They've got all the charts. And so I found sometimes you have to hit two balls hard to get one hit. And um, so you just got to keep making hard contact.
2: All right, Steve Sachs joining us, the two-time World Series champion, five-time All-Star, and you can hear him on Sirius XM 89 MLB network radio. So let's talk a little bit about the position second base and Jose Altuve. We watched earlier today where Altuve had a ball. Uh, it was part of the shift. He's about 10 feet on the outfield grass and right field. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Troy hit, hits a ball. looks like it's going to be there. The third out, out of the inning. And, and Altuve kind of short-armed it a little bit. They gave him an air. What happens? Margot, mm-hmm. next hitter, second life. Boom, three-run bomb. It's three to nothing just like that. And then we see Al- Altuve do the exact same thing two innings later where he short-hopped another mm-hmm. one. Talk a little bit about that. Where is it arm strength, Steve, or is it something where he got a little bit lazy? As a second baseman well, and you saw what happened today, how do you explain that?
1: Yeah. Well, he might be thinking about it, kind of, or, you know, lost a little confidence like I did when I went through that in 1983. Of course, I'm seeing it on Twitter now. Oh, is Steve Sachs playing for the Astros today? You know, whatever. (laughs) Um, Like I've never heard that one before. Um, So, uh, look, the thing is, you have to not, the worst thing you can do is be in your own way and start thinking about it. And it's just a temporary loss of confidence. He needs to throw the ball through the first baseman, not to the first baseman. He needs to throw it through him. And, you know, Jose, Jose's a good fielder. He'll figure it out. It's just a little loss of confidence. But it's a good idea to remember to throw the ball through the guy and not to him.
2: But when you saw that today, were you thinking, okay, he just figured I got a slow runner. This is the third out of the inning. Did he get a little bit lazy? Or was it something yeah. really with the arm
1: strength? It's, no, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good point. And it wasn't his arm strength. Because I know he's, he's got a good arm. Uh, the thing is, sometimes you get into, you can get into a rut. You can get into a bad habit. And when that happens, um, you start to lose confidence. And if you lose confidence, you can't make the throw to any place. And that's, that's what happened to me. And so what you have to do is is remember that no matter who's hitting, um, it's just like in basketball. You've heard the old adage of just catch and shoot, right? When you catch the ball, shoot. There's no wasted motion. You just catch it and, and then shoot it in the same fluid motion. Same thing with Baseball. You catch and throw and it's all about footwork. When you see really good uh, infielders, it's not that they have great hands. Really good infielders usually have really good feet and that's why they're such good fielders. And he needs to just keep his, uh, you know, keep, keep in good habits and, and just remember to catch and throw. And if he, if he does that, he'll be fine.
0: You know, Steve, it's interesting because you're talking about the fundamentals of baseball out there, and certainly you do these plays thousands, if not hundreds of thousands or millions of times in your career, and yet even at this level in the playoffs, we do see that. We saw Korea yesterday with the ball that came to him, and he had that mental blank, uh, you know, that mental cramp just for a second, and it... it, He tried to flip it. He tried to flip it
1: in his glove, right. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: So how do you avoid doing that? Because the novice fan thinks, well, once the playoffs start, you're zoned in on every pitch, but you can't... Possibly be ready for every single pitch of every game, although you certainly want to be. So, how do you avoid those things from happening?
1: It's just a, it's a stu- staying tough mentally. And I can tell you that you got to expect every ball is going to be hit to you, and what are you going to do with the ball when it's hit to you? You got to know who's on base, the speed of the ball, the speed of the runner dictate how you're going to make the play. But generally, when you when you see a ball that's hit to a right of a shortstop, he got around the ball, it's just to circle the ball, so your momentum is going towards first base for the throw. But one thing you don't do is you don't flip the ball from your glove to your hand. When you catch the ball, in in most accounts, unless you're on the run charging the ball, you should be able to catch that ball in front of your body with both hands and throw the ball right, at, right from where you caught it. But to just circle the ball and then have your glove down and then flip it to your hand, flipping the ball to your hand is not part of the textbook way to field and throw it's, it's a lazy cool kind of ole way of doing it it looks good but it's not very effective and he got caught he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar that's not a professional way that you field the baseball and he paid for it
2: steve Sachs joined us all right uh updating the tampa bay rays and the Houston Astros, game number two of the ALCS, and the Rays still lead 3-0 as Houston leaves more men on base, and uh, now the Rays batting here in the bottom of the fourth. Steve, let's talk a little bit about Tampa, because for the average fan is just tuning into baseball right now, they're, they're a little bit surprised, saying that how does Tampa Bay get this thing done with really no household names? I bet the casual baseball <laughs> fan probably could name you one starter, whether it's a an everyday player or a pitcher there. But how has this team been able to dethrone the Yankees and the Red Sox, and even Toronto to a certain degree, as the beasts of the East?
1: Um, well, they got very talented players. There, there's, no, there's no question about that. Their starting pitching is, is, is elite. They've got really elite starting pitching. When you, can take, when you consider that uh, Tyler Glasnow uh, is one of the best starters in the game today. He's six foot 8 He's got electric stuff. Um, and he is a super pitcher. Um, you know, Snell, Blake Snell won the Cy Young a couple of years ago. He's an elite pitcher. Charlie Morton has got great stuff at 36 years old, but really at the top of the food chain when you when you want to compare these guys. So they've got three guys in the starting uh, staff that are super good pitchers. Now their bullpen is one of the best in all of baseball. They they really started the whole, the whole the new way, the default mechanism for teams to use an opener or a bullpen type of a game where you have a a bullpen guy, a reliever, start the game and you just keep changing the guys over. The theory being that hitters don't face the same pitcher all the time, uh, but the effectiveness of the the reliever can come in and certainly get three guys out. You just keep changing them over and and they became very effective and they won the pennant last year in doing that. And they did the same thing uh, a lot this year. So, that's kind of like a default mechanism people go to when they're, when they run out of starters, but the Tampa team is very used to that. And uh, matter of fact, it's, it's nothing odd at all. When you see Tampa, you know, go at it that way.
2: All right. Over in the NLCS game one starts tonight, Dodgers and the Braves, really the two best teams throughout the season, this short season here in the national league. I mean, how much of this do you think comes down to pitching? And, you know, we've had both these teams have had some postseason failures in recent years, Break down the series, advantage who?
1: Well, this this is going to be a great series. These are the best two teams in the National League. Um, Dodgers have a, a, probably the deeper team, probably deeper than any team in baseball, uh, with great starting pitching, tremendous bullpen, uh, and they've got guys that can score in many different ways. they got one of the best players in the game, Mookie Betts. Corey Seager's having a phenomenal year. Justin Turner. Just go up and down the lineup with the Dodgers. They're all... Star quality players, and they can win in, in a lot of different ways. Um, they led the league in home runs. They led the league in run score. They led the league in pitching. They're a good defensive team, yada, yada, yada. On the other side of it, when you talk about the Atlanta Braves, the only place where they may not be able to rival the Dodgers because they have a, a very formidable offense, uh, you know, they got the, arguably the most valuable player this year in Freddie Freeman. Uh, they also have Acuna Jr., who's one of the best hitters and the overall players in the game. Ozzy Albies, Travis Darnot, the catcher. It had a monster season this year, uh, only only to be beaten out by one other guy besides Freeman on the team, which is Marcel Ozuna. Now, Ozuna and Freeman might cancel each other out for MVP votes this year. That's how good this team was. So uh, when you look at that, the great bullpen that the Braves have, the only place they may not be able to rival the Dodgers is in starting pitching. But their starters have done very well so far, including Ian Anderson and Kyle Wright, two young guys that have really pitched well in postseason.
0: Steve, I, I know that you're talking about all the players on the field, and certainly those are the guys that determine who wins and loses games, but how much of it in today's game does go to the coaching and different things? I know you talked before about with all the charts and all the stats they have today that everybody knows where the ball's going to be hit. We certainly saw Tampa mm-hmm. take advantage of that last night when they had a bases-loaded situation Bring in the relief pitcher, he throws one pitch, mm-hmm. and they get the double play out of it right away by using the shift that right. they use. Do you think the shift is an overused thing, or do you think that it wanted it's done properly, it really has changed the way the game is played and managed and everything else today.
1: Well, I think the shift is completely overrated. In the instance that you talked about last night, it, it, it worked. I mean, you know, it does work sometimes. There's no question about it. But I can point to you at least um, for every time the shift works, I can point to you at least one time and maybe a little bit more that it doesn't work where you hit a 27 hopper right toward the second baseman was playing, which ostensibly is a double play ball. Uh, and you don't get even one. The ball trickles into the outfield for a base hit. Happens all the time. So I think the shift is overused. I think it's it's invented by people that think they're smarter than everybody else and never plays a the game. The, the game was invented a certain way. And for them to think that they have a brand-new strategy that's going to change everything, I'm not buying it. Uh, I, I think the shift is, is is good sometimes. But talk to a lot of pitchers in Major League Baseball to hear what they say. They absolutely hate the shift because they sacrifice many times the double play which is the pitcher's best friend.
2: Steve Sachs joins us. The all-star second baseman, the World Series champ. can hear him on MLB Network Radio, XM 89. All right, Steve, we got the sad news earlier today about Joe Morgan. I am guessing that he was your idol. I'll let you speak on this. What did he mm-hmm. mean to you?
1: Well, Joe Morgan was certainly somebody that I really looked up to Growing up as a kid, especially uh, you know kids that are a little bit diminutive in stature, as Joe Morgan was, he was only five foot seven. When I entered high school, I was five foot three and I weighed 105 pounds. So naturally, guys that are out there killing in Major League Baseball uh, was a guy that was just a little bit taller than me. So naturally, I looked up to a guy like Joe Morgan. He was he was one of the most talented guys in baseball. He could hit the ball 450 feet, um, and he was part of the Big Red Machine, which was arguably one of the best teams ever to play the game. And I, I got to, you know, when I got into the big league, certainly I got to play against him and know him. Uh, and he was really a, 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 just a tremendous guy. We both had places up at Squaw Valley. So I'd see him when I'd go up to Squaw, and, and he was really a nice man. I had a lot of respect for Joe. He was great in the booth and uh, just a great humanitarian as well. So sadly missing Joe, uh, uh, Joe today. Joe Morgan is one of the nicest men I ever met.
0: You know, Steve, one of the things that I always think of when I think of Joe Morgan, and obviously everybody talks about what he did in the batting cage with his arm and that, But and we talked about it earlier, the small glove that he uses in infield, and I know that yeah. infielders use a smaller glove, but you'd look at that thing, and it almost looked literally like it was a glove. I mean, uh, why was why did he use that, and, and he was so good? I mean, I know he was comfortable with it, but and he certainly didn't have those problems flipping the ball out of his glove and that, but he used a glove that you'd think it would be a little bit bigger, but he was comfortable and so good with that, it just kind of sticks out. In my mind, every time I'd see him at Wrigley Field growing up, I'd be like, "Wow, that's a small glove, but wow, can that little guy use it?"
1: Yeah, he is. See, uh second baseman need a small glove. I use a small glove too. It, it, uh, it, it's because you want to be able to transfer the ball out of the glove as fast as you can, and to turn the double play. And Joe used a very small glove. I was surprised when I saw his glove. I was on second one time, and I said, "Let me see that damn glove on a break," you know, and the change into the pitcher. <laughs> And I couldn't believe how small it was. It was like a garden net. You know, it was like right. those ones that they used in the 1890s. It was a <laughs> tiny little thing. But, boy, he was good. With it. Joe was a five-time gold glover and one of the better fielding second basemen you'd ever see. Yeah.
2: What is your greatest Joe Morgan memory, Steve?
1: Um, I, I think the, the greatest, one of the greatest memories I had was in a rain delay one time when uh, we were playing. Um, I, we were playing. Now, what was a rain delay? I think it was some... I, just, I think it was an old-timer game that was being played. And there was a, just a, you know, guys were just standing around. And I think it was in San Francisco. And I was just talking to him. And I asked him, I said, Joe, why, why did you flick your arm up and down your elbow? Why was your elbow going like a chicken? And he says, because I was told uh, the right way to hit when I was young. And I used to put my elbow up. And this is a lesson for all you, um, for all you parents out there that might want to hear this. One of, the, one of the conventional wisdoms is when you kid comes up to bat, is you tell him, get your elbow up. Make sure that your elbow is up when you're hitting. That, that's the absolute worst thing you can tell a kid. That is the right? wrong thing to tell a kid. Don't ever tell a kid to keep his elbow up. As a matter of fact, you should tell your kid to keep his elbow down when he's hitting. Um, and that's what Joe Morgan was telling me. He said, so I would try to remind myself to keep my elbow down, and that's why I would flip my elbow down to touch the side of my My side, so I knew that that I was going to keep my elbow down when I hit. That's why his arm would, would fluctuate his elbow back and forth when he was up to bat. So, parents, remember. Remember Joe Morgan. Keep your elbow down.
2: I can imagine, you know, you guys had that rivalry as well, too. I mean, Dodgers, Reds, mm-hmm. but then again, you guys played the same position. And then, you know, was it later on in life that you guys maybe started talking a little bit more? Or did you have those type of conversations? Because you know, we, we, we talk about this all the time, about how you see players are more friendly now with each other. They're all making the big contracts. Yeah. Guy gets on first base, guys get on second base. There's more of that. There really wasn't a whole bunch of that back when you played, was there? And just kind of elaborate on that and some of the conversations you had with Joe Morgan.
1: Yeah, I, I, I mean, the um, it, it wasn't the, the kind of uh, freewheeling type of uh, affection that you'd see uh, on the field today. When, when, I, when I was playing, I'd play against Morgan. It was, uh, you know, we were fierce competitors, and, you know, we respected each other, though, uh, but we were competitors. And, and uh, on the field, I'm sure that he'd want to run me over, and I, I would do the same to him if it meant getting hit or winning a game or whatnot. And I remember when he hit the home run against us in 82 to knock us out of the playoffs when he was a member of the Giants. He hit a home run to right field off of Terry Forster on the last game of the season uh, in the eighth or ninth inning to, uh, to knock us out of the playoffs against Atlanta. So he he was, a, he was a tough competitor. There's no question about it.
2: All right, Steve Sachs joins us. All right, Saxy, before we let you go, uh, who's going to be in the World Series? Who we seeing advancing on here this well,
1: week? We might we might see. Uh, I, I hope it's uh, the Houston and the Dodgers, you know, because uh, I'm pulling for my friend Dusty. You got it. Uh, but but it might be Tampa. Tampa's got a real team. They're loaded with talent, and they do it on one of the cheapest uh, payrolls. I think 48 million was the payroll for the for Tampa this year. With limited resources, are able to uh, you know pull that talent out of this team. So they're they're doing it right. And if there's any team that needs a new ballpark, please take care of Tampa.
2: Yeah. No kidding. No more playing in the orange juice box indoors. Give me a break. Yeah, and
1: uh, Do- you think Dodgers <laughs>
2: yeah. over the Braves? How how long does this series go?
1: You know that's going to be yeah. I-, I think the Dodgers will beat the Braves, but I think I think they're going to have their hands full. The Braves are, really hit the baseball. You know the Dodgers scored three hundred and forty nine runs this year, and the Braves scored three hundred and forty eight runs. They- that's how close these two teams are.
2: Yeah, and the pitching for Atlanta is probably unsung a little bit as well too, and we saw that against <laughs> Miami, they just shut him down.
1: Yeah, Kyle Ryan and Anderson, those young guys are tremendous. Max Freed, the youngster, is actually from the LA area, uh, and he was seven and zero with a two two fifty five ERA this year. He actually studied and copied a lot of the same antics as Sandy Koufax, and now here he is pitching against the LA Dodgers. So he. He's from L.A., Loved Sandy Koufax and tried to pitch like him. And now uh, he's pitching against the Dodgers. You got
2: it. All right, my friend. Great stuff. Uh, tell our listeners where they can you catch bet. you on uh, XM89, the MLB Network Radio. When are you on again?
1: I'm on, uh, I'm on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday this week.
2: There you go, man. All right, we'll be tuning in. We appreciate yeah, it as always. Man. We appreciate it as always, my man. Thanks, buddy. Take care. You bet. There he yeah. is, Steve Sachs, the – two-time World Series champion with the Dodgers, the All-Star, and again, a guy that is very humble, a guy that talks about his own miscues at second bases. We we're relating that to Jose Altuve and, uh, you know, owned it and put it on his shoulders as well. And... um some great fond memories of Joe Morgan, as you can imagine.
0: Well, it probably makes it a lot easier to poke a little fun at yourself too when you do have those championships and the five All Stars <laughs> and everything else. So you know, it's like, yeah, laugh at me, but uh, check out my career and that kind of stuff. Oh, by the way, uh, see my Hall of Fame ring. So there you, you know. go.
2: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, and and in the Hall of Fame for the Simpsons
0: episode as well too. Don't forget that. That's why he's in there. Well, yeah. there, you, there you go. <laughs> you know, and 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 now Steve every. Now every murder has been solved in New York, too, exactly. so that's nice to know because there was a lot on the books. Whoa, <laughs> whoa. Joe Morgan, huh?
2: All right. How about hearing a little 1975 World Series game winner from one of the greatest ballplayers ever?
1: There's a looper. May drop. It's in for a hit. Here comes the throw to third. Rose hits the dirt. He's safe. And there goes Morgan down to second. And the Reds have the lead four to three. As Joe Morgan, bloop, a base hit in the center field. Scoring Griffey from third. The throw from Lynn to third was too late. Rose hitting the dirt there. And on the throw to third, going down to second is Joe Morgan.
2: One of the greatest
0: voices in television houses of all time in Kurt Gowdy. And why hearing that, did I just picture Pete Rose diving headfirst into <laughs> right. third, and we were just talking to Sachs about when Pete Rose told him, you know, that's BS about everything evening up. Hmm. That wasn't a hard-hit ball. You heard him. A looper dropped. He yeah. gets on second. They get the run. Hard-hit balls are nice, but they don't always do the job. Sometimes it's those seeing-eye singles that, in this case, turned into a man in second and third, and now winning run scoring. Look at that. All right. Joe Morgan, sad day for
2: Major League Baseball. Uh, Joe Morgan passing away at the age of seventy-seven, the sixth Hall of Famer that has perished here in two thousand and twenty. Just uh, still numb about all that.
0: It's, Unbelievable. I, I just I know everybody keeps on saying they want to get this year over with. I'm afraid to wake up every morning. I know, right? All right. Well, we've got baseball
2: right now. We'll update you on what's happening there in San Diego. As the Rays still lead the Astros 3 to nothing And a pitchers duel, believe it or not, uh, bottom of the 5th, uh, Rays batting and McCullers actually pitching pretty well except for, you know, that 3-run uh, homer that he gave up after the uh, should have been the ending, inning ending uh, out by Altuve as he throws it in the dirt, Guriel couldn't get it, and that's the difference in this game.
0: Yeah, and Altuve another one of those guys that probably looked up to Joe Morgan and said, oh. "You know what? You don't have to be six foot four and you know built like an Adonis to play professional sports. You can do pretty well as a little guy as well."
2: You got it. All right, don't forget uh, tonight we've got game number one of the National League Championship Series. The Dodgers taking on the Braves talk about pitching matchups. This could be another low scoring affair. And we're used to seeing that with the Braves and Saxey mentioned the two great offenses with these teams, but they've both been playing some low scoring games, well, especially the Braves, some low scoring games here in the post season and the Braves have been winning a lot of uh, low scoring games. Uh, Max Fried, who we talked about from the LA area, uh, this guy taking the mound against Walker Bueller. Bueller wasn't the most happy guy heading into this season, this postseason, kind of off by himself. But he's getting the job, and he has supplanted Clayton Kershaw as the number one pitcher for the Dodgers.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, and, and this is kind of your too. You'd like to have that big offense going. But this is when pitching does dominate a lot, and you have to be able to win those low-scoring games generally if you want to be the champion. You can see 11-8 to eight games like we saw with the Padres and some of their early series in that. But eventually at this time, the pitching, usually the cream really rises, and that's why you need those starters, and like Tampa has with the bullpen and everything. So we'll see how it plays out. Atlanta's pitching has looked good so far, but they also haven't faced an offense like the Dodgers.
2: Dodgers, a $1.45 favorite tonight. Some value there if you like the Braves
0: and the total eight something could be screaming under here yeah, it's possible again it's you know it's early in the game is so important in these games and like we've seen like in last night's game again and i have a feeling we're going to see a lot more of them you know there's so many big moments in games and, and tampa bay managed to win the game last night But you had the feeling if they would have lost, they would have looked at all those opportunities that they didn't cash in on as well. So sometimes that's the key thing, you know. It's not necessarily how many hits you get in a game. It's when you get Mm -hmm. them. And we all know how big the two-out single or the two-out hit is with runners in scoring position especially. Those are usually what determine who wins and loses baseball games. All right. We'll be uh, flipping the remote control back and forth tonight with baseball to
2: monday night football the saints hosting the chargers saints a seven point favorite in this
0: game you got a side here uh i i really don't i mean i guess i would probably take the saints but how can you i mean i don't know what to expect from them either mm-hmm. uh, you know i mean you have drew Brees and they have a good offense but their defense scares me all the time yeah. it, it would scare me laying points with this team yeah
2: especially the way the Chargers have been playing. They're 0-3 since Justin Herbert has taken over, but they've got three covers in there as well, too, and he's been playing pretty well. It'll be interesting to see how this thing rolls tonight.
0: And that's like I say, that's what scares me. I mean, we, we saw the Saints' defense look absolutely horrific against the Raiders. Mm-hmm. Now, again, so did Kansas City yesterday, so you don't know what's going to happen. But, yeah, the, this is a game I would not touch on a betting line because I do think New Orleans is the better team. But their defense scares me too much. And if Breeze does throw an interception or do something, uh, you know, a, a, a turnover could easily determine this game. And a backdoor cover is certainly something that could scare you. Right. Oh, by the way, the Lakers uh, won a championship last night. Yes, Armando wanted us to mention that. LeBron <laughs> wants some respect. <laughs>
2: and we're
0: going to touch on that tomorrow. What a perfect segue for Terrible Tuesday. Yeah, terrible Tuesday <laughs> should be interesting. Also, uh, the college football games when we were at the uh, Cosmopolitan on Friday, yeah. I was watching that game that night. Something happened in that game that really, really got under my skin.
2: Louisville, Georgia Tech. Yes. All right, we'll talk about that too, as well too. Uh, great guests on tap this week. I want to thank Steve Sachs for joining us uh, tomorrow. T.J. Reeves, our guy from Tampa, he will join us. We'll talk about the Bucks and he also covering the after the big the loss race. to the Bears. Exactly. So that's on tap <laughs> tomorrow. Bob Aram will join us because we have a huge fight with Lomachenko and Lopez coming up this weekend. So looking forward to that. Bob Aram will join us. And also telefino Lopez uh, scheduled to join us as well, too. Trevor Maddich. So we got it all covered for you this week. All right. For Ballpark Frank, Numbchuck, The Quake, everybody, appreciate you joining us. Go to the website. Check out everything we got up there. The past interviews. It's all there in the past shows at tcmartinshow.com. Have yourself a good one. Tune in tomorrow morning, 10 o'clock. Eleven o'clock a.m. Do right here. Do up, Dougie. Do up, and me.